right, so pray for one. We're in week two of this series uh, where it's just this very simple prayer that literally changes everything about the way that we see the world, we see Jesus, the way that we see ourselves, and the way that we see our relationships. So it's one simple prayer that says this, God, give me one person to share your love with today. Can we, can we go ahead and pray that together this morning, uh, together as a church? God, give me one person to share your love with today. And uh, I, I, I prayed for one this week. I hope you prayed for one this week. Uh, does anyone, anyone have any fun stories about praying for one this week? I'm, I, no one raised their hand. They're like, no, I'm not sharing in church this morning. That's cool. Uh, you know, one of the cool things is we have, uh, we have the Hope Center that's open on Saturdays. And, um, you know, as, been, as I was praying, God, give me one person to share your love with today. I was reminded of our interpreter that works with us every single Saturday. Her name's Maria. And she hasn't been in church in two decades since her kids were little. And there's kind of part of her kind of things that she was expected to do. And I was able to talk with her a little bit yesterday about coming to our Easter gatherings. She's been serving at the Hope Center the last six months um, and really connected with our community uh, through that. So everyone that serves at the Hope Center has met Maria at one point or another, has interacted with her. And uh, so I just was able to invite her. And it was kind of like that off, you know, that, you know, that awkward kind of like, hey, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Have you ever been there before? Yeah, everyone? Yeah, it sounds good. We're all on the same page on that. And, uh, you know, but I think what, what happened is as we began to interact with, with, as I began to talk with her yesterday, I really got to a spot where she was able to say, you know, I, I, I would love to see the people that I work with also at church. It would be interesting. So we're really praying that Maria comes on Easter weekend. And, um, you know, we continue to put these Easter invites on your seats, not because we simply want more and more people to come, but, peop- but because we want people to interact and meet Jesus for the first time. And so as I've been praying for one, man, I hope you're praying for one. I don't know if you have any fun stories about that. We'd love to hear them as you continue to do that. We're really looking for awesome fail stories. How many have invited someone and just absolutely failed and it botched all over the place? Just me this morning? That's cool. I'm all right with that. That's all right. I've, I've, I've had plenty of those too, where it's just awkward, 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 and nothing happens, and you swear they're never going to think about Jesus again afterwards. I've been there before, because you, you want to see something awkward is have an introvert invite someone to church. That's, uh, that's tough stuff. So anyway, um, we, we, so the, the pray for one, that we, as we pray for one, we're literally expecting, we're building into the DNA of who we are as people, the, uh, the, the expectation that God is actually going to be at work in our day-to-day. He's actually going to be at work in the midst of our life. Um, and so he's gonna, it's going to change everything about the way that we see the world. And one of those major things that we're going to literally change everything is our view of discipleship. It's this word that's, that we use often. It's become almost like a, it's become almost like a, uh, you know, a manufacturing type of word, this word discipleship, where we're kind of creating disciples in the work of the church. Very Western American, very kind of a result of, of, of the industrial transformation that our country saw. But the idea of discipleship will literally change everything. And so I wanted to talk about that today um, as, we be, as we begin to understand how pray for one literally will change everything will literally change everything. And here, here's kind of what I understand to, and what I know about discipleship is, not, is that although grace is free, discipleship will cost you everything. Although grace is free, and we're so thankful uh, for God pursuing us and moving towards us, discipleship will literally cost us everything. And even, even this understanding, if you've, been, if you've been an adult for any, long, any length of time, you understand that free doesn't necessarily mean free, does it? it we actually, in, in our culture, when we see the word free, we go, what's, what's the catch? 
What's the catch, right? When you see an ad, it says, free this, and then they just nail you with something, right? They nail you with some sort of sales pitch afterwards. You say, hey, you come, come stay at our timeshare for the weekend, right? And then they slip in this, okay, you gotta sit for four hours in the midst of this talk, and they try to get you to buy a timeshare. Everything that we understand about in our, in our culture, this whole idea of free, um, really gets, gets, our, gets our, uh, our, our trust, kind of gets, uh, gets our trust challenged, and so the idea even of grace, that this free gift is given to you, you begin to say, okay, well, well, well really, what's the catch? And, and the, the price that Christ paid for you to, be ha- to have free grace is, is the price that he paid with, with his life. He had a perfect life, and then he died a death that we should have died, and then ultimately resurrected a defeating death so that we could have victory, so that we could have change, so that we could have life change in the midst of our life and have new life in the midst of all that we do. And so you begin to see that there's a price that Jesus paid so that we could receive, but then it, when we say yes to this grace, it literally changes everything because literally grace is free, but discipleship changes everything. Jesus teaches about this in Luke chapter nine um, where we see this quick little story that he, that he says. He says, he said to the crowd, this is Jesus speaking, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost? And, and so I kind of, when I, when I read this verse, every once in a while I read this verse as a, a way to align myself on what's actually happening. In this middle of the verse, right in the middle of the verse, you see this phrase, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will gain it. And so you begin to see that this whole idea of discipleship will change if you simply begin to follow Jesus. And so today what I wanted to do is is make a few clarifying points about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. How many times have you heard that phrase and you said, okay, yeah, I get it. It's a kind of a churchy word at this point. It's kind of a churchy word. The word discipleship is, makes kind of like a, a weird statement. Okay, what is a disciple today? And certainly there's so much conversation to take place. But I really believe that if we have some of these clarifying statements about what discipleship is, I believe that we'll begin to see everything differently. And and pray for one is literally the the avenue by which we can take everything and and dive it into that. So God, give us one person to share your love with today. We ready? All right. I know it's raining. I know it's raining. If you're online this morning, you had no clue what just happened, but it was dead silent here. Um, So let's, let's go. Discipleship. A few statements just about discipleship this morning. Number one, discipleship will cost you everything. Verse 23, right in Luke 9, it says this. If you, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give up your own way. We, have, we just make terrible gods, don't we? Terrible gods. We've tried to do marriage our own way. We've tried to do finances our own way. We've tried to do relationships our own way. We've tried to do church our own way. And literally everything begins to fall apart the more that we hold on to it. Colossians chapter one really says that Jesus holds everything together. And we just, just simply struggle with this idea that we could give it to him and life will, will do well. It, it, like we, we struggle with this idea that if we, if we give him an area and we do life the way that he says it, like he created everything, he created and designed you, you think that if we did life his way, we would have true life. In fact, that's what he says to us. 
He said he wants to give you full life. But the reason why we're not experiencing full life is a lot of times we don't give him that area of our life. We don't even give him our, all of ourselves. Say, God, you know what? Just order me out. Order me. I have chaos in my heart. I have chaos in my soul. I have chaos everywhere. God, can you order me first so that I can begin to see everything take place? Because often, we, we will often have one, two, maybe even three areas. Say, so you know what, God, I'll come to church, and I'll, I'll make sure I feel better on Sunday, but man, I'm just going to hold on to these three things over here because I really like the way that I'm doing them. And so we interact with that. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an author. He wrote, the, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. If you, if you don't want to ever be challenged in Christianity, don't read this book. Um, because he was, he was an incredible guy. He worked in the, the Nazi training camps, and, and literally he, he, wrote a, he wrote about the, the struggle with being a Christian and whether or not he wanted to, to kill Hitler. Like, think about it. that's just That's just tension, right? That's just a lot of tension. And he writes this book called The Cost of Discipleship, where he says literally just not, there's, there's cost to these things. And so this is what, a little quote from that book where he says, discipleship is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. He did not see the price of his own son as something that was with, something worthy of withholding from our own desires to be with him. And for me, I, I just think about the idea of this, that why would we not be able to give him all of us if he was able to give us Jesus? It literally costs you everything. And so my, my challenge is to you today, what is the thing that's stopping you from being a full-on disciple? Now, a disciple in the first century was someone that wanted to be just like their rabbi. Disciple wasn't like this like Christian word. Disciple was a part of the Jewish religion where, where they would be chosen by a rabbi to go learn the scriptures with the rabbi. And so you learn the scriptures the rabbi's way. But here's the thing about a disciple. They wanted to know everything about the rabbi. And they wanted to do everything like the rabbi. So man, they wanted to walk like the rabbi. They wanted to talk like the rabbi. They wanted to do their hair like the rabbi. They wanted to wear clothes like the rabbi. They wanted to go to the bathroom like their rabbi, man. They wanted to do everything like their rabbi because they just wanted to be just like them. And so they took this word and they begin to apply it because Jesus was a first century rabbi. So it's just very natural for us to say, we want to be just like Jesus, just like him. In every area of our life, we want to be just like him. And so that's why we say we want to see our lives changed by him. We want to see the restoration of all things take place through him. And we really want to become just like Jesus. That's what discipleship is. But we know that it's not without this idea that it costs everything. We even see this story in Mark chapter 10 as we read it real quick. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Don't you love that? Jesus is about to school this guy, right? And he's just like, man, I, I just feel this sense of desire and love for you. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Just sell all you have. Give it away. It's this idea, you have this one thing. Man, you're just going to sell everything. And the end of this story is he doesn't do that. He walks away. For him, he was not able to give this one area for the sake of Jesus. And so for you, what is that? What is this one area? For, for you, it could be many different things, but, but if you literally have not had this type of interaction, man, it could just be, we all could be very active in our faith. We could all be very interactive with each other in our faith, but we just might have our own pride, our own sense of stuff our own self-righteousness that we have to continue to interact with. Discipleship will literally change everything. A lot of the times what churches do today is they say they want to compete against all the other things. No, you don't want to do this. No, I want, you know, make sure you cancel everything on Sunday mornings and come here or whatever. Um, and make sure you know, do nothing. You do a couple things on, throughout the week. And we, have to, we often compete with family styles and family lifestyles and family decisions. And there are elements of that that, you know, that, we, that it's a good idea to continue in that. But often what I like to do is I like to focus not on what you do and don't do, but really about the glasses that you wear. Because when you go to your kids' activities, when you go to your family, when you go to all, that, when you go to all of these things that begin to inter, you begin to interact with as a follower of Christ, the glasses you wear are just probably a bit more important because then your activity will change. The activity will change once you believe to be, what you believe uh, will change. After, what you be, if what you believe changes, your activity will change. Sorry about that. So the glasses that you wear are just about near as important as anything you do. And discipleship will literally change everything about it. So it will cost you everything. Discipleship will literally cost you everything. Number two, discipleship is a dynamic relationship. Here's again what we tend to do in Western churches because we're good at manufacturing. We tend to manufacture discipleship. And we replace words with, uh, we replace the words of relationship with things like systems. And, I, and this is like, this is me to a T, man. Sometimes I really, I have to really remember that, that you are all on your own journey. You're all on your own journey. You're all taking your own steps. And every one of you are in a season of discipleship. Everyone's interacting with this in different ways, but it really is a dynamic relationship because here's what, dynamic, here's, what, here's what discipleship is not versus what it is. It is not a linear system because you've all been there. You said, I'm going to trust Jesus today. And then three days later, you're like, oh God, I got to trust Jesus today, <laughs> don't you? You begin to take these steps like, man, man, man I, like I'm going to step forward, but then I'm going to take 14 steps back, and then I'm going to take six steps forward, and then you realize it's really not one singular path, but really like this big area that you're walking around with Jesus in. 
It's a, not a linear system. It's not a program. It's not merely intellectual. It's not competition. It's certainly not cheap. But discipleship is a dynamic relationship with God. It's loving God. It's loving people. It's, it's, it's multiplying and it's costly. When you begin, to, we're going to spend a whole week on this, but, but really when you begin to pray for one, you will get challenged on whose kingdom wins. Whose kingdom wins in your life? Is it, the, is it your life or is it the kingdom of God that wins out? You know, that's, that can be such a basic thought. But if you actually spend time every single morning saying, whose kingdom wins today? Whose kingdom is going to win today? Am I going to spend my entire life, my entire day, making sure that I'm comfortable and orderly? Or am I going to try to ask God, God, give me one person that needs to hear about your love today? When you begin to do that, you interact with worship, and you interact with community, you interact with mission in a brand new way. God, give me one person to share your love with today. Your life all of a sudden becomes not about you, it becomes about God. And you begin to change and shape and move as you go throughout your day. God, give us one person to share your love with today. We, we spent a lot of time on this last week when Bo was here, but he basically was, was, he was, he was nailing pretty hard down on Bible trivia. Didn't you feel a little awkward about Bible trivia last week? I was like, all right, I know some stuff, my bad. Like, it's, it is, but, but I really liked the heart behind what he was saying. He was saying things like, hey, you know what? We often rate our discipleship based off Bible trivia. We often rate our discipleship based off where we go and how much we know. But you know what Paul even cautions this? Cautions that type of mentality. Look at, look at what it says. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. He's talking about uh, the, the church and different uh, meat sacrificed to idols and, and talk about the function of the church in different, in different aspects. He says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Let's let's just just be honest. That's that's challenging, isn't it? It's just challenging. Because, man, even in in my role, a lot of times, hey, even in staff, we're just looking for answers here. And a lot of times I wonder what it would look like if, if, you know, if the four or 500 people that come here on a weekend would focus a whole lot more on love than whether or not we're getting it right or wrong. I think the Bible spends so much on how to have a dynamic relationship with God and how to have dynamic relationships with each other. But a lot of times what we try to do is we try to say, all right, who's right and who's wrong? Who's doing this and who's doing that? We spent a whole lot, about that, a whole lot of time on that last year but we tend to spend more time on the aspects of relationships that really the Bible doesn't call out. He says, spend a whole lot of time loving each other and not a whole lot of time fighting with each other. You'll see what the community of Christ looks like because that is literally a picture of God's relationship with you because discipleship will cost you everything. It is a dynamic relationship and it will begin to change everything about the way that you see the world. And so lastly, real quick this morning, discipleship is not only costly, it's not only dynamic, but it's holistic. It's holistic. There's this famous quote by Abraham Kuyper where he says, there's not one aspect of the world that Jesus does not say, mine. Mine. And so when you, no matter what aspect you're looking at this morning, if it's not holistic, then we're missing a part of it. 
I was with our students last night every year when uh, they go to our winter retreat. Um, when they go to the winter retreat up in Manadnock, my wife and I usually pop up for the Saturday gathering because we don't typically get to worship with them um, on Sundays. And so there's 30, 32 of them that went up this weekend and they were able to spend some time worshiping together, grow, growing closer together. And Pastor Frank and Katie are, are really spending a lot of time just pouring into them, engaging with them. But what they're learning is that, is that life with Christ is not just a singular focus, but it literally changes everything about them. And that's why Jesus says to, we really need to, the, the, one of the greatest commandments, right, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you've ever broken that down, um, you begin to see uh, this, this quick understanding is that, that loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength is really, your heart is, in our, in our day and age, means our emotions, the, the mind are our thoughts, the soul is a combination of heart and mind and your inner self. And your strength is in your body. And so what I love about Jesus is that he's constantly taking these things and moving them into things, moving them into our activity. He's moving them into actually doing. And so our heart and our, and our mind, as we begin, I mean, we just know our emotions and our thoughts better than anybody, right? And the fact that Jesus knows that, he knows our motivations, he knows where our emotions are, he knows where our thoughts are. A lot of times as dudes, we, like to, we don't like the emotional part, we like the thinking part. And we interact with these, these, these things, but Jesus is saying, no, all of your heart, your emotions included, your mind, your thoughts, your intellectual, and, and your intellectual uh, approach, you're also, but just thinking about the victory that you have in Christ. But your soul is this inner self, this ability to take both your heart and your mind and order it and have there be an inner peace, an inner order um, because of the resurrection of Jesus. And then it takes, it overflows, this inner self, when it's healthy, it overflows into your strength and how you physically can show the love of God in your life. And that's why we put pray for one in here. It's just a simple prayer that says, God, let us do something. Let us have activity that says not only do we believe that you're the son of God, but we have faith that you can do this in another way. We have faith that you can actually bring this about in today's day and age. We have faith that this actually matters today. So not only do we have belief, but we also have faith. We have belief that Jesus is the Lord, but we have faith that it actually matters. And so what I love is that there's this really cool story in Mark chapter two. It's the uh, story about the paralytic man. If you've been in church any any length of time, you've probably heard this in one of a thousand sermons. But it's this man who's just, who just, he's, he's, in a, he, he's physically lame and he's not able to get in front of Jesus by himself in order, to, in order to be healed by him. And so him and his buddies, they bring up to the top of the roof and they begin to dig through the roof. They had a clay roof at the time, you know, in those days and they begin to, to, to pull it open. They begin to, to, to dig through it and they, they literally lower their friend in front of Jesus' face. It's like, kind of like, here, we're here. And literally everything that they're doing is riddled with this faith that there can be done, there, something can be done if simply my friend can meet Jesus. And at the end of the story, Jesus has this incredible phrase in Mark chapter two, if you go to that slide there. There's this little phrase, uh, the next one there, Mark two. So Jesus says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. 
Here's what I love about this verse. Is that we often overlook this little part. It says, Jesus saw whose faith? Their faith. They're not just seeing the faith of the man that was healed. That's a plural word. Their faith. The faith of the friends combined with the faith of the man brings healing into their life. My question is for you this morning. If discipleship costs you everything, if discipleship literally changes everything about your relationship with God, if if discipleship is a dynamic relationship, like riddled with the idea that there actually can be something happening in today's world, if discipleship is the fact that every moment of our day is just brimming with potential for God to do something in our life, if every day is about giving our lives over for the sake of Jesus, when was the last time Jesus saw your faith and worked in the, your, the life of your friend? When was the last time your faith was, was so active and so productive and so engaging with your day-to-day that it was a part of someone else's faith story? When was the last time, who was the person and what was their story about when your faith, not just your belief that Jesus is Lord, but your faith that there's activity because of your belief, that there's something pouring out of you into the life of your friend, that Jesus saw your faith and began to work in the life of your friend. Who is that person? And when was that story? See, here's the thing. I think many of us will have a story, but it's like five years ago. It's seven years ago. It might... My, my hope and my desire and my dream when I go to churches, when I, when I interact with the church and when I pastor a church is that we're not so much about the inner fighting about what's going on, but we can be of singular focus that our faith matters in the life of a friend. That it literally does change lives if we believe and actually have it, enough faith to put it into action. That's why I believe pray for one can change everything. If you pray every single morning and you deeply believe it, God, give me one person to share your love with today and then you're searching for that one and then it becomes like four. God, give me the one person. I just want to have this encounter with you and another person. When was the last time for you Jesus saw your faith and healed your friend. Everyone's got a story. It's about whether or not that story is within the last two months, six months. That's where stagnation in our discipleship can come into play. So my challenge is to you today. What is discipleship for you? Is it just to become everything like Jesus? Is discipleship just grace and that's it? How is it poured out into your life so that Jesus can see your faith and say your friend is healed? I believe that if we could do that, it take a singular focus of all of community covenant, point it at this one thing. God, give me one person to share your love with today. I believe we will never be the same. It might not result in like a church of 10,000 people in Rhode Island. That's not what we're going for. Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It moves throughout, and it's like yeast. It moves throughout the loaf. 
I believe you begin to see change take place. One that can last for generations. So that's my challenge to you today. When was the last time you saw your faith in the life of someone else's healing? And we begin to see that work take place. So let's pray together.